Acts chapter 17. I so badly wanted to uh, be here last Wednesday night because I had this message on my mind and uh, the reason has to do with the message uh, two weeks ago. We talked about Esther and for such a time as this and the need to serve our generation like David did. I don't need to tell anyone that that is a huge challenge whenever you stop and think about it to uh, rather than to just live out our life uh, doing things that please us we have the challenge of trying to reach an entire generation of people and the fact of the matter is most folks are actually afraid to confront it they really are it's difficult to stand up in the face of the world that disagrees with you and say, you know, this is the right path that you need to take it. This is what God said in regards to what you think you're wrong and so forth. And so uh, uh, what we need to do is, as we're told in Jude, verse number three, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered into the saints. And whenever he speaks about the faith, that's talking about the body of truth that we believe. That word faith is not used there in reference to our confidence, you know, but it's used there in reference to the things that we believe. And he says, earnestly contend. And so that has to do with what, well, some might uh, liken it unto a debate and uh, uh, you know, what it, whatever it takes. We live in a corrupt, confused world, and we have a great responsibility to speak the truth. As Peter said, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh a reason of the hope that is in you. Think about that. Over the years, especially many years ago, it was a common thing uh, for somebody to say, Preacher, you know, I've got... And, you know, a son, a daughter, uh, some relative that uh, that's not saved and they've been really interested in it. And, and I remember one woman several years ago said that her daughter was asking how to be saved. She wanted to be saved. And she said, well, I'll ask the preacher, you know, see if he can come and talk to you about it. And uh, I just flat out told her, you just miss." you know, the wonderful opportunity of leading your own child to a saving knowledge of Christ. And all of us, every Christian, every person, I mean, if you're saved, you know you know how you get saved, or how, you know, how else could you be saved? And you need to share that with others. And so we're engaged in carrying out the Great Commission. Well, that makes our text today of great importance because I'm going to talk to you tonight about confronting a culture of confusion. Acts chapter number 17, we're going to start reading in verse 16. We'll actually get through most of the chapter tonight, at least by way of reference. Verse number 16, Now while Paul waited for them, and if you look back at First uh, verse number 14, you'll see that it's speaking about uh, Silas and Timothy. They've parted company and uh, he has gone on and he is waiting there for them at Athens. And as he was waiting, his spirit was stirred in him. And when he saw the city wholly given unto idolatry, 
And therefore disputed he in the synagogues with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Here in our text, we see a model for ministry. It's speaking about Paul's confrontation with the Athenians on Mars Hill. And in this story, we see the essential elements that's needed to confront a culture of confusion. I could, uh, I could say so much about our culture. I, I, I have it here in my Bible case, an article I started writing the other day, and, I, and I, I've been struggling with this all day because I knew I was going to want to talk about some of those things, and I just can't do it. But the article starts out talking about the newest fad, the thing right now that, that they're trying to get going is to make reference to the newborn, not as babies, but babies. They bees. The idea is that they themselves can determine their own gender later on. What? Yeah. I, and I, I listen. I could go on for an hour talking about different issues like that, and I, I just can't afford to do that and lose track of the message tonight. But we live in a culture of confusion. And we need to take note here as to the elements involved in Paul's ministry as he confronts a culture of confusion. These people, as we'd say back in the Ozarks, are flat dab mixed up. I mean, they've got it all wrong. And Paul is confronting them. Now, the first thing that Paul needed and the first thing that you and I need is concern. We see that here in verse number 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. In other words, the spiritual condition of the city disturbed him. And, you know, he could see all of the, the idols that had been erected. And, you know, had he been one of these modern-day preachers, I guess he would have shrugged his shoulders and said, well, you know, uh, to, to each his own. After all, one religion is just as good as another as long as you're sincere. You'd be amazed how many people actually believe that. They really do. And Paul could have taken that approach, or he could have gone on a tirade belittling them. In other words, he could have lashed out you know, at them and belittle them because of their ignorance. Are you a bunch of screwball knotheads? I mean, what in the world is wrong with you? You've got it all wrong. And and and, and I, I hate to tell you, but I've got a few preacher friends that that's kind of their approach to the ministry. And I've got to confess about my first year or two preaching, I I was somewhat that way myself, you know, that you get this idea that there's, you know, that uh, that there's something to brag about if you get up there and, you know, really get them told. And boy, whenever I finally learned that the Bible says we're to speak the truth in love, it makes all the difference in the world. And so here we see that Paul is clearly troubled and he's concerned about the plight of the people. But that was Paul, right? And you'll remember there in Romans chapter number 9, 
where he said, I, I, I could wish myself a curse from Christ for my brethren and my kinsmen after the flesh. I mean, they're, they're lost. And, and Paul is wishing, as it were, in one sense, he's saying that if it would help them to be saved, I'd be willing to suffer the worst thing imaginable, and that is to be cursed from Christ. But he knew that, you know, that wouldn't do any good because every person's got to be saved for themselves. Then in chapter 10 and verse 1, he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Here is a man that had a deep concern for other people. And the amazing thing, whenever you read his testimony and just go through his life, you'll see here is a man who originally, as Saul of Tarsus, had no concern for anybody else other than himself. That's all he was concerned about. And that's the thing that keeps us from having a genuine concern about other people. You know, we don't want to get our attention distracted, you know, and focus on them because it'll take it off of us. And you have to, you have to ask yourself the question, how many, how many folks are really truly grieved over the spiritual condition, let's say, of our, of our country, uh, our community, uh, our friends and our relatives. I, you know, I'm, that's information that we have. We can look around and we can express our views and so forth and we can even, uh, we can even debate the issues that, that people are so very wrong. But I'm talking about a real genuine broken heart because of the spiritual condition. I read a, an article, I'm going to quote just part of it, by a journalist named Walter Thurl Anderson. And here's what he said. Never before has any civilization made available to its populace such a smorgasbord of realities. Never before has a communication system like the contemporary uh, mass media made information about religion, all religions available to so many people. Never has a society allowed its people to become consumers of belief. That's a really critical phrase that he makes there. Never has a society allowed its people to become consumers of belief and allowed belief, all beliefs, to become merchandise. And then he goes on and he makes another remark. He says that America has become the belief basket of the world. I can remember almost 50 years ago, and it might have been that long ago, that I made the statement, if you want to see where America is headed, just look at Europe. You know, we look over there and we think about what used to be. We think about those great preachers and those great churches and the great things that God was doing in Europe. And, and uh, we can thank the Apostle Paul, by the way, for that and the direction the gospel went. And, uh, and now we see it coming apart at the seams. And uh, we just stay a few years, it seems like, behind them. I was talking to a missionary in Canada just this week and talking about the situation there. And uh, we're talking about several different issues. And uh, right now the big thing is they've legalized, you know, smoking marijuana or using marijuana any form, any way. 
for anybody. You know, it's just uh, that's legal there. You can do it. But now they're trying to legalize all drugs. The use of no drugs will be a crime. Now, you might commit a crime while you're using drugs, but it's not a crime to use drugs. So if you want to, you know, use cocaine or heroin or whatever, and they're pushing for that and trying to get it uh, enacted. But he made the statement in regards to preaching what the Bible says about the matter of homosexuality. And he says, I'll guarantee you, even in just reading what the Bible says and commenting that the Bible is right, man is wrong, I would lose when the charges are brought against me. You cannot do that here. And I mentioned that, folks, because I'm telling you what we see there and what we see in Europe and these other places that sometimes we think, oh, that could never happen in America. Don't you kid yourself. We got legislators up there that, you know, that, well, I got to go. I got to get off of this. Here's what I'm trying to say. The purveyors of air are hard at work deceiving people. When the legislators, you know, try, you know, they make laws that you've got to have, uh, uh, you know, bathrooms for that anybody can use and that that, uh, same sex marriage is legal and and stuff like that. And, And they don't let up. You know, we Christians get on a hobby horse for a while, and man, we're really against this and what have you, and we'll scream and we'll yell and stomp and spit and sputter for a year or two, and then we let up. They don't let up. And the reason they don't is because they don't want just to be accepted. That's not it. And that's the way they start out, you know. Well, why don't you accept us? We're different, so they start out that way. But after a while... After a while, they're on a mission to convert you over to their way of thinking. And to think about America being the the belief basket of the world. And I can remember preaching revivals in Warren, Michigan. Boy, in a good Baptist church, and we had a shouting good time and soul saved. You have any idea what Warren, Michigan is like today? It is totally, absolutely run by Muslims. City council, everything, that is a Muslim stronghold. It's unbelievable. I never dreamed that we'd see anything like that in any society here in America. And uh, boy, we, we need concern, the kind of concern that broke Paul's heart when he saw this situation. But we need more than that. We need courage. Look at verse number 17. Therefore, therefore, because all of these idols, because of the great confusion, the spiritual condition, therefore disputed he in the synagogues with the Jews, notice, and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met with him. Now, don't forget something. And I pointed it out earlier on purpose. Paul is alone at this point. Silas and Timothy have stayed behind. Paul is there all alone. And it takes courage to stand up in a place like that and preach a book like this to preach the truth to people that are so deceived. And, you know, he could have stood there and just shook his head in unbelief. 
He could have just walked away. He could have said, man, this is too much for me. If these people are so gullible as to believe this nonsense, they're beyond, they're beyond hope. But Paul had the courage to confront the people, both in the synagogue, this is the Jewish people there, and even in the public marketplace. You know, we'd call that maybe street preaching today. He didn't care whether he was on the public square or where. When he got an opportunity to preach, that's what he did. And um, I want you to keep in mind that the world's most famous philosophers... Uh, we still quote them today, Plato and Socrates. They had expressed their views and debated right here in this same place in Athens. And this was the favorite pastime of the people there. They would sit around and, I mean, all day long. You'll see that later on in a verse. And they loved to do that, just sit around and talk about all of these different philosophies. Boy, it takes a lot of courage to step on a platform like that. And Paul knew that his beliefs were going to be challenged. He knew that, but he didn't hesitate. And you know, I, I, can't, I can't but help question our concern and our courage because we sure don't have the boldness the early church had. For example, back in chapter number 4 of the book of Acts, we find a great example of that boldness. Remember, these this is a church that's being persecuted as a result of their stand for Christ. Uh, chapter number 4 of Acts, and I think it's... Where am I here? Um, if you get there before I do, go ahead, somebody, and read that the verse I'm looking for. Verse 3. There we go. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. That's not the verse I'm really looking for because you go, you go on and read down through here where they were threatened and yet they continued right on preaching and witnessing even though they had been beaten and imprisoned and threatened and they keep right on preaching. And that's the kind of boldness that we need when we think about reaching others for Christ, it's time to lose our timidity and to stand up, you know, uh, with a, a, a wrought iron steel in our back and, and take a stand for Christ and tell the truth. And Paul had concern and Paul had courage. And I've noticed over the years that that concern, real genuine heartfelt concern, has a way of giving you courage. You know, it's difficult for any new Christian to start witnessing for Christ. Uh, and there might be a few exceptions to that, but for most of us, it's really difficult. I can remember after being saved, and the first people I want to talk to about it was mom and dad. You know, I didn't want them to die and go to hell, so I started talking to them. And let me tell you, it was really tough talking to them, but when you care enough, you'll do it even though it's difficult. And that's what we've got to do because, as I was talking about Sunday, we live in a state of emergency. And, and, and it's emergency for every unsaved person out there. They're one heartbeat away from hell. Well, that brings us down to verse 18. And here we see that 
another element of this was confrontation. Verse 18, And certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? That, that word babbler there means seed picker. Uh, like a bird out there, you know, picking up seed and what have you, and that, you know, in their mind, he's somebody that's picked up this little bit of philosophy and this little bit of religion, and so they just call him a babbler. What will this babbler say? Uh, other some, he, uh, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preaches unto them Jesus and the resurrection, and they took him and brought him unto Ariochippus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these strange things mean. For all of the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else. I've underlined that in my Bible. That's what I was talking about. They loved to, you know, wherever they were at to talk about and debate these issues. But they spent their time in nothing else. That's all that was going on. That's all they wanted to do. And nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Wow. I mean, you know... You've got a serious problem when that's all you want to do. In fact, Paul warned Timothy in preaching about that very thing for him to preach the word and to not get involved in stuff like that. And here's the thing they love. That's all they, all, all they wanted to do. And so the confusion of these people is evident just like it is today. And, uh, we cannot clarify the confusion unless unless we confront the people and challenge their beliefs. I, I don't want you to misunderstand me because I'm not talking about uh, some loud, crude, in-your-face confrontation. That's not what I'm talking about. When I talk about confronting them, I'm talking about taking advantage of the opportunities to communicate with them the truth. And we can't do that without contact. You know, we can't afford to isolate ourselves like a hermit. I, I've often talked about the fact when I was a boy that I thought that was a, that would be the most wonderful, greatest life in all of the world. I wanted to live out in the woods somewhere in an old log cabin with a fireplace and a hound dog out on the front porch. And all I was going to do just fish and hunt. I thought, man, that would be the life. Well... <laughs> I guess you could say Bev changed that, but uh, anyway, the fact of the matter is, and look, look, I, you know, we Christians sometimes we get the idea, boy, I wish I could just, I wish I could just get out in the country a little bit and get me ten acres and put an eight foot chain link fence all around that and a couple of Dobermans, you know, or uh, Rockweilers or something to patrol the premises and uh, so nobody would bother me well, we all feel that way you know we uh, you know we we want to have some alone time and we don't want to be bothered but as christians we can't afford that because we have a god-given mission and unless we care enough to confront people we don't have any hope of ever helping people 
And let me tell you, we we, we can you know start a food pantry. We used to have a food pantry years ago, and that's well and good. You know, it's a good thing to give people food. Uh, we don't want them to starve to death. But man, you could feed them ribeye steak every single day, baked potato and sour cream and all of that, and uh, and they'd still die and go to hell if they don't hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So wherever, this is my point now, we're talking about confronting a culture of confusion. Wherever you are in life, and I guess this ties together with the message on Sunday, you know, about bloom where you're planted, you know. Wherever your Babylon is, whatever your situation is, use that as a platform for the truth. Please, please do. I... um, often talk about how irritated I get, you know, with entertainers or athletes, for example. Here you got some 25-year-old entertainer making millions of dollars a year. And, you know, whether they're a Hollywood actor, a singer, or an athlete, and whenever the presidential election comes up or whatever the issue is, all of a sudden they're all expressing their views You'd be amazed how many young people put a lot of stock in what they say. They use their platform. I've heard them say, I've heard them say that. I've got this platform and I'm going to use it. And that's what they do. Well, you've got a platform. You don't make millions of dollars a year. You know, you're not known all around the world or anything like that, but you've got a platform. It may be on your job, in the school, in the neighborhood, wherever you, you're you at. You have a platform, and there has to be confrontation, contact with others. And it has to be intentional in, 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 a, in a way. I, I preach a sermon uh, several times, actually, from the book of Acts about natural Christianity. And, and over the over the years, there have been so many times I've organized different kinds of visitation programs, and we've tried everything under the sun. And uh, it starts out great; it works for a month or two, and then after a while, it's right back to square one. You have a visitation night, and you, and and you have three or four that'll show up faithfully, and nobody else. It always ends up that way, regardless. And uh, that was the reason years ago I got to looking at the book of Acts. And, and as I said, this is the model for our ministry, folks. And it was so natural. The people went about doing this and doing that. And daily, it wasn't something they did just on Sunday. And you notice that Paul, daily, every day he was out there in the market or the synagogue or wherever it was, every day he was out there taking advantage of that opportunity. You know, I don't expect anybody to attend church services every day, but we've all got a ministry that we can do wherever we are. So it takes confrontation, but it takes, and this goes right along with it, it takes communication. And I'm separating these two on purpose. Go back to verse 22 and let's, let's read a few verses and notice what happens. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. We'd say, too religious. For as I passed by, 
and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth life to all and breath and all things, and hath made uh, of one blood all nations for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of you. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own, your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring, for as much then as ye are the offspring of God, ye ought not to think that the God it is like unto gold and silver or stone, uh, graven by art and man's device. And at the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he whom he hath uh, ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Uh, this is the communication part of it. He has confronted them, he's meeting with them, but I want you to notice at least four things about his communication with them. First of all, he directed their remarks toward their spiritual hunger there in verse 22 and verse 23. You see, there was no lack of religion in Athens. Uh, I mean, there were plenty of religious. Uh, everybody could see that. They made sure you knew they were a religious people. Well, we see the same thing true today in America. We don't lack for religion. We got more than enough religion and religion is the worst enemy christianity has by the way and so we got plenty of religion and and so paul is going to their point of need and i say that because every person even though he doesn't realize it is seeking something that only God can provide. That's why regardless of where you go in the world, it might be into the depths of the jungles in Africa, it might be among the teeming millions of people in China, wherever you go, you're going to find people that that are religious by nature. So he starts out there knowing that this is the one thing that we've all got in common. We're, we're not only sinners, but we're always seeking something to satisfy. And we can't find it. And so he starts there. But then in verse 24 and verse down through verse 28, notice he's describing God here. I won't read it again. But he talks about God's nature, God's character, God's power, God's authority. Now here's an interesting thing that you want to take note of. And that is in dealing with these people, do you, did you notice how he starts out? He starts out talking about creation, not the cross. He, does, he doesn't start out by talking about, you know, I want to tell you about the blood Jesus shed on the old rugged cross. 
He, he's in the process here of communicating, describing God, dealing with them at their point of need, but he starts at creation. It's an interesting study, and uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Ken Ham. He, Ken Ham is the fellow that built the ark up by where my daughter lives in Kentucky, and uh, he, has, he has a ministry. Uh, he's had it for about... Oh, probably 30 years now, Answers in Genesis. And uh, he's written several little books, but he deals with this issue that we have to start where people are. And and if if you go back and study, I remember in Bible college several years ago teaching there, and I, I used part of one course one year in talking about the manner in which Jesus dealt with people. He dealt with all of them in a different way. And, and, and he did so for a reason. Because you have to start where they are. Now, for him, if in, in talking to the Jews, for example, uh, he, he wouldn't need to start out affirming the fact that God is the Creator he, they knew that already. That you know, that was a done deal in their mind. But he's talking to a people that don't have a clue what's going on. They believe in multiple gods and uh, so forth, and so they don't know. And so, when we're dealing with people, when we're trying to confront our culture of confusion, keep in mind you've got to start out where they are. Because you get to talking about how we have been reconciled unto God and therefore justified by the blood of Jesus that was shed vicariously for our sins. And and you got some poor old sinner boy out here that's never been to church in his life scratching his head wondering what planet did you come from? So we've got to get it down where they are in life. And he, he is describing God here, his nature, his character, his authority, and his power. Well, verse number 29, notice here that he denounces air. In verse 29, he says, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold and silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And so he is correcting the air because they put a lot of stock in that. And uh, you got to say one thing about Paul. He wasn't bashful, was he? He was very tactful. He was very kind, considerate, very caring, but he wasn't bashful. And so he is denouncing the air that existed there. And then he, he ends up in verse 30 and 31 demanding repentance and, uh, and warning them of judgment. So many times you'll, you'll talk to people that maybe you'll ask them if they're a Christian and, uh, and they'll, they'll just come right out and tell you, no, I, I'm not a Christian. I've never gone to church much. And were you to come out and tell them, well, you know, you're, uh, you're a rebel against God. You are the enemy of God. They would get so very offended. They don't understand that until they get saved, they're living in rebellion against God. And notice here that God commands. We talk about salvation so much of the time as an invitation. And that's fine. It is. The Lord even referred to it in that way. Like a great supper, great feast, and you invite everybody. There's an invitation aspect to it. But it is a command from God uh, uh, to repent. 
He commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And so that that's where Paul takes this teaching. He wanted them to understand, folks, look, this is not a matter of us just having a difference of opinion. This is a matter that God has spoken. And uh, He's commanding you to respond. Now, for time's sake, I've got to wrap this up. And I want to do it real fast. So far, we've been considering basically how how Athens affected Paul. He was brokenhearted. He was deeply concerned. Concerned enough that he was going to confront them, which is exactly what he did. But it would do us good, I think, to consider how Paul affected Athens. How Paul affected Athens. He made an impact. And by the way, we all affect others one way or another, for good or bad. We all have an effect on those we come in contact with. And I remember Daddy years ago. Well, we'd never, I've never been to church in my life. Daddy didn't go to church. But he invited a fellow at church to go squirrel hunting with us. I didn't know this guy, but he's really a, really a nice guy. And I, I never forget Dad making a statement. He said, uh, uh, he is a good Christian man. I'd never heard Dad talk about Christians before in my life. Never. He's a good Christian man. He doesn't do this and he doesn't do that. And he was right. The guy, I guess, was. But what I'm saying is, that guy made an impact on my daddy. Uh, Dad wasn't going to go listen to sermons. He didn't care about church or anything like that. But that guy made an impact on him. You're making an impact on others. Now, notice it starts out with the first response being contempt. They didn't like it. They, you know, they were opposed to what Paul said. But then it proceeds from contempt to curiosity, beginning the last part of verse 18. Now they're curious. They want to, who you've been listening to? Where did you get all of this information? How do you know you're right? So now they're curious. We all live in such a way that will make people curious. We can do that with our attitude. You know, just having a good attitude during bad times, and they'll get curious. Huh? Wow, how how'd you go through that with such a good attitude? And then it results, if you go down to verse 34, it resulted in conversion. Many of them were saved to the point that they followed Paul. Whenever he left the city, they left the city. They found what they had been looking for, and they attach themselves to a man that has the answer, and they're following him. Well, I don't suppose somebody's going to follow you home or follow you out of town, but it just might be, it just might be that they'll follow you, you know, by way of getting involved in the Lord's church and following you by the example that you leave before them. Whoever you are, if you're here tonight and a Christian and I look around and I don't, I couldn't say I see anybody that I, I doubt your Christianity. You claim to be a Christian. I believe that you are. Uh, and there's not one of you that couldn't make a big difference in people's lives. And so I just want to challenge you tonight to, uh, to confront this culture of, con of confusion that we live in because you're needed. Whether they realize it or not, this culture needs you. 
and what you can do to help bring them to the Lord. I, I don't know where I'll be next uh, Wednesday night for sure, but it just might be. I, I'm going to be preaching the message uh, Sunday morning, and uh, and I'm something. Yo, I, I mentioned this because I want you to really pray. I'm thinking probably we're going to start a study of the book of Daniel starting next week. And I think 